Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Welcome to this week's episode of the Driven Chat Podcast, where once again, as per usual, I say as per usual, as per most weeks, we are parked up at Caffeine and Machine in our studio truck, I have sat to my left, ever so slightly, Amy Shaw. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's been a couple of weeks since we've seen you, Amy. I don't know if we can say why or why we haven't seen you. <laughs> I mean, you can do if you if you want to. It's uh, yeah. I might have had the the little thing called the COVID. Yeah. <laughs> God, <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> You're so on trend. I know. I, a bit I mean, late to the trend. A bit though. late to this one, but yeah. uh, no, came out of it pretty pretty well. Had no other issues other than a bit of a sniffle, but uh, no, glad yeah. to be back. I mean, the the 16 days of quarantine I ended up being in was a bit wall climbing but other than that it was uh I, I, this is my first time back into society actually so mm. um i literally only got got out on uh yeah two days ago so um if i'm if i'm not good at the talking then this is why you're a bit out of practice i've just had to talk to my cat and um my other half but that, neither of them talk much back no your cat does occasionally <laughs> he yeah. does actually yeah. now amy we're joined <laughs> this week we have no andy j this week as as we often do we swap things around with the uh, the, the people in the booth um, but we are being joined by a good friend of mine and somebody who I've not seen. We've just realised the last time that we saw each other, we were both stood in the middle of a frozen lake in Sweden. We were. Hello. Hello. John. Thank you for having me on. Well, hello. And that is the voice of Miles Lacey. Hello, Miles. Hello, John. And hello, Amy. Hello. Um, yes, indeed. We were on a frozen lake in Sweden. Yeah. By choice, I might add. Yeah, that's very true. As we have done multiple winters 
in a row. How many years have you been standing on frozen lakes in the winter? Nearly nine years now. Nine years, yeah. I think I'm a, I think I'm a year or so behind. Um, but just to add some, just in case there's anyone thinking, what on earth are you doing standing on frozen lakes? That's because we met doing a rather brilliant experience called Ice Drive Sweden, which is, as you might suspect, driving cars on a frozen lake. You would never the, have guessed. The ice driving, yeah. So my, uh, I, I've been going out for the past eight or nine years with uh, my old outfit, Classic Grand Touring, who still organised those amazing ice driving trips. And Miles, you were a bit more of an official capacity, weren't you, as an a instructor slash organiser slash... That's an awfully strong word. Um, you had a uniform on, so... Ah, uh, yeah. Of sorts. Stolen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I've been going out there quite a few years, and partly with the manufacturers that I work with, and partly through Ice Drive Sweden as well, yeah, who course. is a mutual friend of ours, that uh, Connor Flynn, who runs that. Yeah. And um, they call it work, but... We're just going to have a laugh, don't we? It is a pretty good thing to do, yeah. I'm sure we've spoken about ice driving before on the podcast, but just in case there's anybody listening that's ears are starting to prick up thinking, yeah, I've heard about this ice driving thing and I've heard that it's quite good fun. It is one of the best, if not the best thing you can do on four wheels, I firmly believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, seriously. If you want to go, want to have fun, but if you want to go and level your car control up yeah. in a very, very, very short space of time, yeah, that's the way to do it. You come back thinking... I am actual God. <laughs> <laughs> so you do both come back from each year of that and thinking we are the God of Gods. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> you do also come back wanting to just throw your car sideways at every given opportunity because you've, you've spent, well, I mean, the, the majority of the customers have come out and spend a couple of days, some two or three days. We'd be out there for four or five weeks at a time. So, and when you've just solely driven on ice for five weeks, you do drive very differently when you then get home and you're on tarmac, you're like, hey, what's this grippy stuff? This is weird. Is it a bit like when you leave, you've been karting, you've got like local <laughs> little karting place, and you get back in your car to drive home and then suddenly you're like, going to take every corner. Trying to pit manoeuvre <laughs> the, the DHL vans off the road. That's it, taking rally cuts across the grass and all sorts of stuff. Which, you think, wait, there's some blue like flashing that. lights behind me. What yeah, he only put his lights on because he lost the race, obviously. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Incidentally, I just followed a very, very committed horse box on the local Roads Did you? down here. I just sit, I sincerely hope there were no horses in it because <laughs> I'd be very sick. I often do wonder about wonder that about horse boxes and how how is that for a horse? You think when they're being thrown around? I should imagine very unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. Do horses get car sick? They must do. I don't really. Know. Maybe somebody at home. Are you a horsey person at home? Could you send us an email, please, and tell us all about? Have you ever opened up your horse trailer to find a bit of horse chunks? Hey, 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 hurl on the floor. Hey, hurl. Anyway, we've uh, we usually don't uh, don't digress and go off into tangents quite so soon. We've only been hitting the record button for five minutes. Um, but you're not here to talk about hey, hurl or ice driving miles, are you? Because no. you've uh, you do some quite cool things as a as a job, and I've been struggling to try and work out where we even begin to try and break down what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and how you make your money? That's a very good question. And I, I think I'm still asking myself the same <laughs> question. Um, I suppose there's a place to start. Which there would is. be at the start. In, in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, yeah. So I've always had a huge interest in, in cars, as you do as a, a young lad or, you know, young teenager or whatever it may be. Um, but like with anyone, it's a hobby, isn't it? And how do you actually go ahead and turn it into something that is a career mm. or pays you some money? It's a difficult thing to do. It so is, yeah. um, 
I was 18 actually when I first sort of took it into an official capacity. Mm -hmm. But when I was younger, worked for some local race circuits, local race schools, that kind of thing. Just trying to, you know, get in the fold of it. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the best advice to give anyone is just go and be involved with it. Um, literally cleaning cars, you know, nothing more right. than that. And then thankfully, a few nice people along the way trained me up to do a bit of circuit driving, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And I was like, you know, I'm like 13, 14 at this, at this point. So it's a huge thing. The fact that you're driving an actual car <laughs> and not just on a PlayStation is like, wow, you know. Yeah. Um, so cut a few years forward, yeah, and I actually went ahead and joined uh, as an apprentice, as a junior engineer. But strangely enough, I entered into a, as a, a UK OEM that I went, worked for, left A-levels, went and joined there. But it was in an area of the business that I had very little interest in, if mm. I'm brutally honest. Yeah, I, yeah. But I knew that with it being a big company, there were surely some other places to go and check out. And there was this magical department <laughs> called the Vehicle Dynamics Department. And I thought, ooh, <laughs> that looks good. So to cut a very long story short, I went and spoke to the guy who headed that department at the time and said, hi, I'm, you know, this young lad quite interested in doing this kind of stuff and it was straight away it's a great idea Miles but you're very young you're 18 we mm. normally only take graduates yeah you know because one they're a bit older mm -hmm. they've often got a degree blah 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 blah. I was like oh, well that's that then but I said well how do you feel about having a junior working with you, you know how do you feel mm -hmm. about having someone that comes through the ranks and learns along the way and they gave me six weeks to sort of prove Excellent. I wasn't a complete idiot. It's quite a brave thing to do at that age as well. Yeah. To, to go in not necessarily having a foot in the door or, or that essential qualification. I say essential in invisible speech marks because, of course, as, as a lot of us have realised in adult life, sometimes going down that academic route isn't always the right route for everyone. Yeah, for a vast majority, and for a lot of people it is, but I can speak with, with authority. I, as I've mentioned this before, I have no qualifications to be doing anything that I do now professionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amy, no. you didn't study photography. I have no official yeah, yet, photographic qualification. Yeah. So you went in as a plucky 18-year-old and said, give me a shot, let me learn. Exactly that, exactly that. And at the time, when I was still at school doing A-levels, doing a the, the onus was very on, you've got to go to university. Mm -hmm. And actually, there was they didn't really talk about any other options. I mean... And the association with apprenticeships at the time was going and being, um, you, you know, in like a trade, something mm -hmm. like uh, plumbing or mm -hmm. building or electrician, that kind of thing. But yeah. actually apprenticeships are such a huge, huge area to be involved with. Yeah. And they're involved in every single industry mm. and namely automotive, thankfully. And there were some great schemes at the time. So, yeah, I came in as a plucky 18-year-old, I suppose, and made a nuisance of myself for a while. <laughs> and um, they sponsored me through it. You know, I did okay. They put me through a degree whilst I was there, so doing the mechanical engineering degree Great. as well. Uh, so it was a very, very difficult first few years because you're trying to obviously show your worth as a young person coming into mm. the business, but also, God, I need, I've got two days a week to basically go and do what most people do in an entire week. Yeah. Mm. Uh, with the university but you know we got there in the end and with a lot of help and uh, no big fat bill at the end of it either, yeah, which was quite, quite nice. And if I can try and take your memory back to that time I'd like to see what your memory is of that that emotion of giving it a go versus the the emotion of it on upon reflection because I think as a 
as an adult now, you know, as, a, as proper grown-ups that we all are, clearly. Mm. Uh, we're all pretending to be grown-ups. But, mm -hmm. we, we, you know, if we had a young relative, let's say, for example, that came and said, I've got this idea, I want to go and do that, you'd think, God, because we know how big and scary and broad the automotive industry can be. We might be thinking, oh, that's... That, I mean, I like the idea, but that could be quite scary. You probably weren't thinking that at the time. Were you going in as a... Uh, were you as confident about it then, thinking, I'm just going to wing this and it's going to be great, or was it genuinely terrifying? I think, yes, it was a bit terrifying because I'd sort of, I knew that I really wanted to do it and I'd sold myself on this, you know, journey down there to say, I really want to do this. This is what I want to do. But I almost didn't consider any other option at the time. Mm. So it kind of had to work. Yeah. But I think at the time, yeah, looking back now, I'd, I'd go, wow, actually, if I'd seen the journey forward, already from there I'd go there's no there's no way I'll be able to do that mm -hmm. but it's like with anything isn't it when you're in it at the moment it's just all happening around you mm -hmm. and sure. you just it just gives you that that energy I suppose to see it through yeah I suppose it's one of those points where if you could see in front of you what you're going to have to go through and the difficulties you're going to have to go through so many people at that point would be like nope and sure. it's almost that naivety which allows you to go in feet first and try your hardest and just Crush fingers, hope for the best, really, or yeah. just try and make the best of whatever opportunities come your way. Mm. Completely agree with that, yeah. And 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 at that age, that's one thing you've got to capitalise on. I think when yeah. you're sort of like late teens, early twenties, is that you could go and do something. I mean, you know, I've had a full career doing that as a mm. test development driver, and now I don't do. I don't hardly do that at all now, actually. Yeah. And I'm only 28 now, so yeah. <laughs> you can almost have that career and then go, that was cool, it served me well, I'm going to go do, some, do something else now, it doesn't really matter actually. Awesome. I'm going to, do, I'm going to slightly unpick the, the sequence of events to get you to what you're doing now because I think, unless people have read the blurb already, they already have an understanding of who you are and what you do, but you are now currently being paid to be a driver for Praga cars, a proper official racing driver, aren't you? Sure. So, so which is which is amazing, <laughs> and I'm not and I'm not going to unfold it any more than that because that's what I just in case we have got listeners who are thinking, this guy sounds interesting. I wonder where where this goes. Yeah. That's where we're heading to. So you are going to take us to that point up until you know from being somebody that's been plucky enough to go into uh, invent their own apprenticeship almost, let's say, become a vehicle dynamic engineer, a test driver, ultimately telling engineers how to make cars better just by driving them. That's pretty cool in itself, but eventually it got you to the point where you are now, you have a seat in an actual racing car with an actual racing team, and it's a proper racing car as well with downforce and stuff. Yeah. Which is amazing. I mean, just for, the, just, just for the benefit of the listeners, the smile on Miles', Miles face right now is, <laughs> is pretty strong because, yeah, so let's just bookmark that because obviously that's where we're building up to. But I think the important, the, the reason I'm trying to unpick this story is because I know, and we, we said this before we hit the record button, we have an awful lot of listeners who are of that, this exact age where they're at that point in their life where they're thinking, what am I going to do with myself? Because there is still a lot of pressure, both from the academic system, from parents, from family, from older siblings, just from the world, the working world and industries we know it, that people feel like they have to do things in a certain order. They have to go to university, they have to get their degree, they have to do their masters, then they have to do an entry level job, then they have to do this. And it doesn't always work like that. And we more often than not meet these people and have these conversations with people that prove that that isn't how the system has to be. So let's take you back to that apprenticeship bit. You've got your degree, where do you go beyond there? So yeah, I mean, the fact, as you say, the fact that where I am now, 
is not you know is like the start of another journey as it mm. were was never even on the it was it was never even on the cards you know actually racing or yeah. anything like that that was never the target but you're right there, there's there's no if there's one thing I've learned having been through this now and you know worked for a larger worked for larger companies worked for myself now latterly is that it's never too late to do any of those things you know it, whether it be a degree and I'm not saying that everybody has to have one I got one because the company paid for it sure I don't actually use it on a day-to-day -day basis but actually strangely enough some companies almost it's like a, um, a minimum standard now mm. but I guess I guess the reason for saying that is I didn't finish my degree until I was 26 actually right. okay. you know most people are done by the age they're 21 is it 22 yeah, yeah. you yeah, know you've left school at 18 you do it for a few years um, so there is no there's no defined route to actually where you want to be and actually sometimes just let what I found out later is just sometimes let it happen just let certain things happen mm. that takes you down a road that okay it might work for a little bit it might switch you on to another path yeah, but yeah, of course. just try and make the most of whatever environment you're in so even when I was at the, even when I was in my apprenticeship I had a focus of becoming you know that was my end goal was to be an engineer doing that development driving test driving etc um, but within that you could go and see other areas of the business so you could go and see you could go and work with the PR department you could go and do some marketing stuff logistics you know anything just entirely anything that was under the roof you could go and give it a go mm. and if anything it just helped you shape kind of your fixation on whatever it may be that you want to go on you know and also just building a network of contacts you know that's one of the I'd say one of my key attributes, if you say, if, yeah. you know, is 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 having a having a really strong network of people, you know, like yourself, where they come along, and you might not, you, there might not be something you can do with that person mm. right at that very moment in time, but maintain those relationships. Don't just be that person that picks up the phone every time you want something. Mm -hmm. Correct. You know, just have a really broad network around you in so many different areas and you never know your paths might cross a little bit later on in life hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Absolutely, and we've we've mentioned this before, Amy and I. We, in fact, we did a podcast together where we, one of our listeners' letters episodes where we we broached this subject of it can seem so daunting, but at the same time, when you actually break it down, especially in the automotive industry, 
everybody does kind of know everybody. Mm -hmm. In fact, the, the owner of Caffeine and Machine, where we're sat here, Phil McGovern, I remember him saying to me at the time that he was opening up Caffeine and Machine, he said there's, there's pretty much two degrees of separation between everyone in the automotive industry, from where you're sat now to the managing director of Bugatti. You know, there, there really is only a couple of people that will be between. And we're all in an industry where we all are here because it's passion-led. We, we are here because we like cars and motorbikes and engines and racing cars and that sort of stuff. And it's such a crucial thing to remember. And what you say there is absolutely spot on. I always, I always use the, say, the phrase, be interested and be interesting, and you can't go wrong. Because if you genuinely have a passion for the industry that we work in, it can't fail because you will push forward. Anyway, this is this is all getting very uh, like philosophical, it, isn't it? it? But it's good, because as, as, as you've said, we've we've all got here because of what you say, Miles, about the relationships that you end up building, not because you want to build those for personal gain, but because, as you said, John, you, you want to be interested and interesting mm. um, to people in your, in your industry. So everything that you've said to Miles so far about where you've got to has been because you were interested and you just thought, right, if I say yes, or if I go and talk, talk to these people, if I just go and say hello to these people, not because I want them to give me anything, but because I think what they're doing is cool and maybe I could see about if I if I like think it's cool as well. And that's kind of paved the way to, to the reason why you're sat here with us today. You're right, yeah, I, and absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't think I'd be sat here invited as a guest onto a podcast, you know, <laughs> ever. And it's, it's, a real, uh, it's a real privilege, but I, I can just, I imagined, uh, you know, on, when I was l sort of prepping for this yesterday, thinking about what I might say, I imagined myself, if I was sort of 17, 18 again, mm -hmm. maybe, or even a bit younger at school, thinking, Christ, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is so much pressure now for you to basically, as you said earlier, John, come out of school and have this really well-defined path of like yeah. every step you make has to be the, the perfect next step. And it just isn't the case. And I think that the sooner you take the pressure off yourself to, to realise that, mm. you'll have a lot easier journey, mm -hmm. you know. And so what if you go and do something, even if you went and did a, you know, a course or a degree or something yeah, or yeah, a job yeah. for six months and it went, you go, God, I don't want to do that. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. You know, I went and joined this business um, and for three months was thinking this was the biggest mistake I've ever made. Mm. But by being a little bit sort of entrepreneurial and opening my eyes within the environment I was, actually, you know, six feet that way was this perfect job mm. across the corridor, <laughs> you know, and that, that's kind of how it happened. And is that where you got into the, was that the vehicle dynamics side of things? Yeah, yeah. So uh, a vehicle dynamics engineer, yeah, is, is, is a bit of a posh way of saying... Yeah, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is it like? <laughs> it's a bit of a posh way of saying... Uh, a test and development driver okay. but it goes a bit further than you don't just get in the car and drive it you know you have a knowledge of vehicle handling vehicle characteristics hardware software all this kind of stuff that influences how a car drives mm -hmm. and thankfully doing what I've done for so many years I've driven everything you know and it's and it's it, that gives you a really really broad knowledge of what's out there whether it be a supercar, a limousine, or you know, a super mini, or whatever, mm -hmm. you end up having a really nice sort of base of knowledge, and you can cherry pick stuff that you you like from that car. I like oh, I like the steering of this car, or I like the way this car rode across a B road, or whatever it may sure. be, all that kind of stuff. But the the role is essentially for you to take a car that's coming into the market, maybe two years ahead a very rough looking 
prototype. You've probably seen you probably see them driving around here with mm. being close to JLR. Absolutely, yeah. they look like some crazy Mad Max-looking thing. You know, or it just needs a flamethrower sticking out the top, <laughs> and you'd you'd be there. But um, you then spend basically every waking minute with this car for the next couple of years. They all, you know, for me, working for a smaller OEM, um, your level of responsibility was was quite a bit more than you would expect to work for a bigger company. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was almost like, there's your bit, there's your car, you're responsible for, I don't know, active four wheel drive or ESP or mm. the base handling characteristics. We'll see you in two years and we'll check your homework along the way, <laughs> you know. And that was amazing because yeah. one, I was working with very experienced people that have been doing this since they were probably my age. Mm. Um, but the responsibility you were given very early on was really daunting but super exciting at the same time because you know <laughs> suddenly your 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 influence is then being relied on mm. for a car that a customer could be driving out on the public roads in the next couple of years. Do you often do that at this point? Because I've got a lot of friends that work in the automotive industry who've both been on engineering side, designers, um, even PR teams, and it's quite interesting. And even in fact, even through to sales, a really good friend of mine, Dan, was one of the um, top salesman for Land Rover in Solihull so you can imagine they sold an awful lot of cars and it's amazing he did a stint with Jaguar and with Land Rover and we'll, we'll drive around and he'll point at a car and go oh I sold that or oh I sorted the finance <laughs> yeah. payment on that and an old friend of mine Anna was a designer and she she did a lot of the exterior designs on things like the Evoque or the Velar the, uh, the, the Land Rover Velar and we're driving around she go, oh I designed that bit there or we've had you know, people like Ian Callum here before and other designers do you, do you find yourself doing that, driving you along the road help. going, yeah. oh, I developed the suspension handling on that? Yeah, you can't help but do that. Even if you had a very small part in it, you're yeah. like, well, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you ever want to go out to the driver and go, hey, how'd you, how, does it, uh, how did it handle around that roundabout? Yeah. He goes, well, actually, Miles, it was terrible. So, uh, no, I didn't have anything to do with that. No, I think I was on holiday that week. Whoever designed that should be shot. Oh, right, yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's that's cool. With with everything that you've kind of got to so far, you were talking about how, as like a 17, 18 year old, to, to know what was coming, you'd maybe be a little bit nervous. If you could now, as your 28 year old self, say, have a, have like a five minute conversation with your 18 year old self, what would you tell them? That's a very good question. Mm. That's a very good question, actually. Um, yeah, I wish. I don't wish actually because I still wouldn't with the journey I've taken I probably wouldn't change anything because you never know one small thing could have taken me on an entirely different path mm. but you know if I was to talk to myself at that age I would just say just go and whatever it may be even if it's the smallest bit of interest that you have in something just go and nurture it a little bit yeah you know and the one thing that has always worked for me is is having a passion whatever I'm working on mm-hmm is having a passion for it because even if I'm talking to you now and you start to see the smile grow on my face, whatever it may be, same with you with photography, Amy. Um, people really feel that, you know, yes. it, we're having that conversation and people can almost feel that energy coming off you. Yeah. And um, they want you to roll with it. I think mm-hmm. they, want, yeah. they, they want you to go and grow it in whatever capacity it may be because then it doesn't really become a chore for you, mm. you know. It's just like, well, I love doing this, and all right, I might have to work 70 hours a week for a couple of weeks doing this thing, but <laughs> so be it, because I love it, you yeah. know. I think that was one of the most 
difficult things to try and explain to my mum, especially when I first get, started getting into the photography side. Unless I was sat literally either at my computer doing emails or physically on a shoot, anything in between, she was like, well, that's not work, is it? And then mm. it's, it, when, you, when you have such a fun job, people almost forget that it, it's still working, it still stresses you out, you still have the difficult decisions that you have to make. And it's trying to or not necessarily justify your, your level of fun and love, and love for your enjoyment, but sometimes jobs, you, you kind of feel like you have to not enjoy your job for it to be able to be a, an actual job, as as, yeah. as we say. Yeah. Um, how do you? Uh, there must be some bits that you, you dislike about the job that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. I mean, to 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 put it very bluntly, I I left I left the business having been there for nearly eight year, nearly nine years. And this was of, a this was an OEM. This was an OEM. Yeah. So it served me very well. Mm. You know, had a fantastic time doing what I was doing. And equally, you know, as you just said, you know, people would look at it at, in some respects and go, well, that's not actually work, is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, well, it is, you know, mm -hmm. it just so happens that I really enjoy what I do. Mm. Um, but so I left at the end of 2019 to go self-employed. And then I don't know if anyone's read the headlines recently. <laughs> this uh, global Something pandemic happened. just slid yeah. its way through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. As we went out to Sweden, pretty much as we came back was when it all kicked off, wasn't that's it? That's right. That's right. We, yeah, absolutely right. We were on our way back to the airport, and myself and my my old business partner Jamie were on our way back to the airport, thinking, you know, looking ahead to this amazing year of events that we had planned. And suddenly there were these headlines about this strange new virus that's making its way <laughs> over from China, and we're thinking, God, this this might have an effect. Yeah. So at this point, you've ha you've left, you've handed in your notice and left the yeah. big OEM. I'm out the door. You're going out on your own, brand I'm, new. Yeah. I'm thinking, I've got this. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like, you know, I'm going to make this happen. And and the fact of the matter is, I didn't do anything for six months. Mm. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Uh, not for ones of trying. You know, the the fact is, the world just put the brakes on, didn't it? Yeah, you know. Completely. And certainly for anyone that was newly self-employed, actually, which happened to be me, I fell mm. between two stools because I'd saved up a bit of money to to leave mm. and go and do do my thing. So next thing I know, I'm just peeing through that on a daily of basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and thinking, Christ, I don't know how I'm going to make this work now. And to the point where I thought I need to go and get another full-time job. Yeah. You know, because I couldn't see I couldn't see anything coming anytime soon. No. But what I did in that time, and the, that's why I was so keen to mention the network was I literally picked up the phone to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I mean everyone. Yep. You know, I just sat there in my office at home and I thought, right, I'm gonna have a conversation with everybody I think might be able to offer some insight or help or mm -hmm. I could do something for them, whatever it may be. Um, and that's what I did for, for weeks, weeks right. and weeks and weeks and weeks, picked up the phone, emails, and even people that I thought would never come back to me, mm -hmm. um, like Chris Goodwin, uh, from you know, ex McLaren test driver, yeah, yeah. now Aston Martin test driver. Mm -hmm. uh, message just li literally messaged him on LinkedIn and said, "Chris, I'm in this position now. You know, this is what I used to do. This is what I'm thinking of doing." And he went, "Yeah, give me a here's my number. Give me a call." No way. You know, and this is like Chris Goodwin, who's like a hero of mine. Yeah, yeah. Had you met him before this point? Never before. Oh, so this literally was just a LinkedIn yeah. kind of like, "I'll just get in touch." Exactly that. Huh. Mm -hmm. You know, and I thought never for a minute he would ever get back to me. Not you know, not because he's not that kind of guy. But people are busy, aren't they? That's right. And um, yeah, he did, you know. And, and that was one of probably five or six really key conversations that I had mm -hmm. during that time where I was thinking, shit, mm, what yeah, am I going to yeah. do? 
And it really helped, Yeah. you know, because even though at that very moment in time, it didn't suddenly result in me going out and doing what I'm doing now. Mm. But only now is it starting to slowly sort of, you know, pay off mm -hmm. really. And it was just having some resilience thinking one way or another, I'm going to make this work, you know. That's and, amazing. And it did. And it sort of did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, so, let's get up to the. Let's see if we can get up to the fairy tale bit because, and I, maybe me calling it fairy tale, it's a bit, um, make it a bit too dreamy. But it is a bit of a fairy tale situation, isn't it, to get you to where you are now? So you started doing bits and pieces for multiple brands, and you one of those being Supercar Driver. Correct. Yeah. And that ultimately led to a very unexpected little event, <laughs> which I'll let you take lead on. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, this is a real, yeah, fairy tale is probably a good way of putting it, Yeah, actually, because um, in the, the last sort of 12 months I was still working for the, for, for the OEMs, I had done a little bit with Supercar Driver, mm -hmm. um, just supporting their events, actually from the capacity of the manufacturer. Yep. And I just stayed in touch with them. I was like, it's quite cool what they do here, you know, all these nice cars flying around and all this kind of stuff. Um, and they have a really beautifully produced quarterly magazine, actually, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it, for the longest time, it's been solely for their uh, members. Mm -hmm. But it's become quite a bigger thing now, you know, and it's, it's lovely. Nice editorial magazine. Um, and writing had always been a little bit of a, a passion at school. Yep. Um, so I said, how about, I picked up the phone to Adam Thorby from SCD and said, how about me writing a column for you every quarter? Mm -hmm. um, he's like, yeah, okay, but what about? Yeah. I said, well, you know, I've been doing this relatively interesting job for nearly a decade. How about talking about that and lifting the lid on maybe an area of automotive that people don't normally yeah. hear about? And it, with the skill set that I had, I suppose it, it, I suppose it gives, me, gives me a little bit of a, a different narrative to talk from, mm -hmm. rather than a journalist that um, you know, has be, just been invited along, I suppose, to come and drive A, another car, mm -hmm. listen to some of the PR words about it, mm -hmm. and then go and give an opinion. But it was, it was a different thing that I wanted to talk about. It was like the process of how, say, a BMW M3, how does that become a BMW yeah, M3? Yeah. You know, it doesn't doesn't just get churned out the end of the door at BMW. Mm. There's a whole process that it goes through, and the DNA about why it feels like a BMW, why a Porsche feels like a Porsche, why mm. a whatever, you know. And I started writing those few bits and a few experiences that were you know more interesting than others, like the doing the stuff out in Sweden, mm -hmm. Dubai, and all sorts of all sorts of crazy places, and it you know people responded quite well because it was a an area of automotive that is almost a bit shaded yeah it is it is i often think that it's a bit like the design process yeah we all celebrate these new cars when they come out or we do the opposite and go oh my god look at the size of those grills you know we all have a reaction to a car <laughs> whatever could out. you be referring yes, to yes i know like, who, who knows but the that that in-betweeny process of the actual design process i've always found to be quite fascinating and until you do hear about designers talking on podcasts or writing columns or having interviews, it is this kind of grey area of ping, here's the, here's the finished product, it looks like this and it drives like this, yeah. but how does it get there? So yeah. yeah, so you started writing a column explaining that. I did, yeah, so I started doing that and uh, you know, talking about exactly that kind of stuff. Um, nothing too specific for obvious reasons, you know, because you, yeah. 
constantly under NDAs. Mm. Of course, yeah. But you can talk about how this how this stuff actually happens, mm. and why do you see a car smashing around the Nurburgring? What? Why? Why is this this thing called industry pool that happens five weeks of the year? Mm -hmm. Which, for anyone that doesn't know, is industry pool is uh, essentially where all the manufacturers in the world hire the Nurburgring for five or six weeks of the year at different points, and it's exclusively for the manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So we would go along as test and development drivers and spend a whole week there at a time. And it is not, it is absolutely not about lap times. Mm -hmm. That is a very, very common misconception. Yeah. It just so happens that, yes, it's <laughs> the most challenging race circuit <laughs> in the world and it's very, very cool, but it also offers a million and one different scenarios for mm. the car to be put through and for us to put the car through, yeah. which actually by the end of it makes it quite sort of robust in yeah, that sense, yeah. you know. Because you've seen a big elevation change or a massive curb like mm. this or a corner at 150 miles an hour, <laughs> that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. It offers everything in the space of eight or so terrifying minutes. I'm sure somebody, you might know this fact better than me, and I can't remember if, if I've romanticised this memory or made it slightly more dramatic, but I'm sure I remember somebody at the Nürburgring, a development driver, telling me that one lap of the Norschleifer is the equivalent of... Or one hard lap, so a full hard lap, is the it can put the stresses and strains through the car the equivalent of something like one thousand seven hundred road miles. Now, it was either seventeen hundred, or I'm sure somebody else said no, it's not seventeen hundred, it's seventeen thousand road miles, which I found a bit harder to believe. But ultimately, doing fourteen kilometres yeah. and getting even if it is just seventeen hundred miles of wear and tear from that one lap is pretty pretty. It, extreme. It's, a, it's like an accelerated sort of process, really, you know. Um, I mean, like, once you get round there, how many laps do you do? You do kind of do, do you have a different task that you try to achieve on each lap, for example, or each test that you go out on it? Being like, yeah. okay, well, on this one, I'm going to test how I don't know tight I can quarter at 150 miles an hour. I, like, I have no idea what the process is of yeah. like how you do your job. Do you have like a little checklist in the car that you're you shouting to a co-pilot, being like, yes, yeah, I don't know, 4,000 RPM, and we've got a bit of lift. <laughs> <laughs> like, how does it actually It's like work? you were there. <laughs> Yeah, it is, and it, it's quite a fraught environment, as you can imagine, because, you know, there's, there's probably, there's, there's not a car, I would say, that I've worked on or with in the last six or seven years that's had, like, less than 600 horsepower. <laughs> and that's, like, the norm, isn't it, these days, to, for a car to have that much power. So your job is, first and foremost, you can't, you're, the business of driving the car, you can't be thinking about that at all. Mm -hmm. That has to be totally secondary. Um, you know, your car control... And it wasn't like that from day one, it only through doing what I do gets to that level. Your car control has to be pretty tasty, but you need to be able to separate out what you're doing as a driver mm -hmm. um, to what the car's doing. You know, if you're putting in some mm -hmm. daft inputs, if you go into, you know, we, we, if, if you flick a corner in, flick into a corner 150 miles an hour over a crest and you go, oh, it oversteers. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's yeah, just yeah. physics. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're, you're almost paid for the sensitivity of your bum, mm -hmm. really. You know, you, you have this like deeper level of perception of what the car's doing at any one moment. So on a particular lap, we might be looking at one particular characteristic or stability control, for example. But there would be no point in going out and doing a whole five laps flat out. One, because it's a road car anyway, so mm -hmm. it'll probably just fall to bits. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's no point getting out the car 
at the end of the lap with tyres ripped off, no. brakes steaming, all the rest of it, and go, well, what can, we, what can I tell you about the car? I don't know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's all in bits now, yeah. you know. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a specific target for each time we go out, and that does change. Well, it just depends what you're working on. Mm. Um, often we'll have an engineer sat with us because, believe it or not, you know, nowadays you can really heavily, infl heavily influence what the car's doing solely through electronics. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the heavy lifting's done very early on in a project mm. with all the hardware, and then later on it's basically stick a laptop in. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if people want to hear that, but that's kind of how it is now. Yeah, yeah. It's the modern world, isn't it? Uh, but I suppose, yeah, the, the, as the future goes on and we changed, I suppose, more to... Well, do you know what? I don't actually know. Do we reckon that the, 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 the balance between the hardware mechanical side and the computer side is going to be kind of stay where it is at the moment? or Because in my head, I imagine, you know, the more classic you go, zero, well, very few computers. In the future, I'm imagining it go, it's going to be very much the, the opposite. But there must be a certain tip, or not, not, even, not even tipping point, a lack of tipping point as such, where it's going to be about 50-50 or, or the, the computer side of things is going to take control over how the car um, reacts and, and feels is do you reckon hardware hardware i'm talking like it's a complete computer is it, yeah. is it hardware is that the word that you use well, it, 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 I, no i see where you're getting at and I, it almost i think the question to ask really is like where where's the where's the priority for the, the, the yeah. customer because yeah, that's what I suppose what I'm you know I, I suppose we you know as car people we like the way a car makes us feel mm. yes and it's quite an emotional thing driving a car yeah but for sadly or not 80 90 percent of the rest of us yeah it's a it's a means of traveling around yep and that's becoming quite apparent with sort of ev cars that mm. are obviously now quite prolific yeah you know the the onus now is not so much on how it handles mm. and the emotional experience it's just well it's got all these cool systems in it and you can do you can you know do karaoke in it if you want that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah it it is very true and i think that that was i i spoke on a previous podcast episode about my disappointment i think is probably the fairest word to use on the new m4 competition bmw very kind to give me one for a week or so and say just go and tell us what you think and as somebody that has still owns a very visceral bmw m products and has owned a lot of previous bmw m cars I've always enjoyed BMW for that visceral driving experience and suddenly I was in a product that felt like it had been so dulled down for ultimately the masses because the vast majority of people that are now going out and buying M4s and M3s aren't actually that fussed about how it can be thrown into a 90 degree bend. Yeah. They just want to drive a car that sounds quite nice, looks quite imposing and is really fast in a straight line and, and for me it's quite upsetting because I'm thinking oh, that was the manufacturer that made yeah. racing cars with comfy seats, and now it's just comfy seats with body kits, and it's a bit sad. It, it is a little bit, yeah, it is a little bit. And, yeah, we could bang up on about it for ages, but the fact is, this, thankfully, those cars are still out there. Yes. You know, I, I, so I've got, um, I've got an old E39 M5, yes. which I absolutely love, even though it costs me a fortune, <laughs> and it is constantly broken. <laughs> um, but... I bought that for no other reason than I really wanted that car. Yeah. And I could have, eat, for the same sort of money, I could have gone and bought, God knows what, you know, something yeah. much newer. Yeah, a Golf R or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just didn't interest me in the slightest. Yeah. And 
with certainly at the height of when I was still working, uh, you know, for the OEMs, I was always out of the country, uh, probably 35 weeks of the year, mm. easily, 60 flights a year, it was just mad, you know. Yeah. And it was a real nice antidote to come back, flying to the airport, flying to Manchester airport for the millionth time that year, <laughs> walk up to my crappy old M5, <laughs> where I'd have to be there for five minutes trying to work out how to unlock it because the battery had gone flat, <laughs> eventually get it going, start it up in the underground car park and go, oh yeah, yeah. like that's it, yeah. Do you know, and just warble on home in it, not particularly driving very fast, but the effect it had on me, even at normal road speeds, was like exactly what I wanted from it. Yeah. And I could have, you know, a bit of a slide off around about whatever it may be, and not worry that if I was doing that in a, a modern M5, yes. I'd probably be doing 160 miles an <laughs> correct, hour. Correct. Yeah, with the yeah. police going, oh, he's on it. <laughs> the, hel the helicopter above. <laughs> exactly. Like that, looking out, going. <laughs> um, have you ever been, got yourself into a little bit of trouble with the police? Because I know that Mr. Margot here has had a couple of. Whoa, you whoa, said whoa, stories. Whoa, whoa. Oh. You've, I, Come on, you, you, do you, tell. You told us one fairly recently, I think, where you had quite an, was it your words were an enthusiastic departure from a motorway or something uh, like that? I, I, I think <laughs> the words of the police officer, who may actually be listening, um, was that uh, it was a spirited exit from a roundabout, That's wasn't the it? One. That's um, a great way of describing it. Which it, it. was. Um, and and he, he, yes, had a very stern talking to about. Uh, um, I, c I couldn't possibly tell you how fast I was going, neither could he. 76 <laughs> miles an hour. Oof. Yeah, you know, it was within the within the safe threshold of a bit too fast, yes. but not not breaking any catastrophic laws. Um, yes, uh, but yeah, we as 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 people that have done a lot of driving for a living, we often it does it gives you that false sense of security and and yeah, I like your anecdote actually about getting back to the airport and jumping in the M5 because I used to do exactly the same thing when I was doing a lot more freelance motoring journalism. You'd get invited to go to car launches. A lot of them would be in the UK. And I'd drive to the car launch in my old E46 M3, and I'd do the launch in this, oh, I don't know, Alfa Romeo Giulia or something, and it'd be fine. Or Mito, I remember that was it. I remember doing the Alfa, Alfa Romeo Mito launch and thinking, <laughs> this is not a car that I'm ever gonna buy, but I'll write some nice <laughs> things about it because it's a perfectly good hatchback. Yeah. But I was so excited about getting back into my M3 that was you know, 10 years older than that car and thinking, this is just a much, <laughs> a much more exciting place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it, it just has it has a totally different effect on you, and it, you know, particularly something like the M5. Yeah. You know, it's a twenty grand engine in a two grand car. Correct. You know, yeah. it, it it's this big, fat, soft looking thing, but it's got this bomb underneath the end, yeah. underneath <laughs> the bonnet. You know, it's just nuts. So we um, we went off on a bit of a tangent, but it was a good one because we were going from the root of you were writing your column for Supercar Driver magazine, which was un unboxing this world of production and dynamics and engineering that people don't see. And that led up to doing a few more driving events with them, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. So originally it started out with me just telling some stories. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, as you said, you know, you get invited on the, the odd press launch. Yeah. And um, I got an email uh, in sort of October last year. And the headline of the email said, Praga R1 drive something like this <laughs> and I was like what the hell is one of those <laughs> straight away on Google I'm like oh well that looks quite serious yeah 
you know, and I, I, you know, I genuinely never heard of the brand, never, mm. never seen one of the cars before, and I'd been invited to come and drive one with the only, solely because I was the only person on the SCD writing team that had a race license. <laughs> right, okay. Brilliant. So, I was like, oh, okay. I guess it's going to have to be me. Then. Yeah, I was like, oh, if you insist. <laughs> so, um, tried to play it cool. Obviously, mm. when I got there, I was just like a giddy child. <laughs> um, and they invited me to Donington Park to come and drive the Gen 4 Praga R1. Mm -hmm. And this was November at this point, and it's cold. Mm. It's a wet Donington Park. And a Praga R1, for anyone that doesn't know, is a prototype aero car. Mm. And to jump in a car like that straight away and try and drive at any sort of pace is not easy. No. Which became very apparent when actually, uh, my current teammate, Mr. James Walker, <laughs> JWW, found, his, found himself in the gravel once or twice, yeah. which he'll happily admit. It's funny, he didn't mention that on our That's podcast. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. I wonder why that is. James, why didn't you mention that? What was that like? Because, of course, you, having, even as somebody that's done a lot of development driving in big OEM sports cars, performance cars, and probably some SUVs, mm -hmm. to suddenly be thrown into ultimately a downforce car and to say, right, show us what you can do, go and do some laps. Yeah. Is it, how, because I've, I've done a tiny 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 amount of downforce driving in the sense and when i say tiny i mean two or three laps just about getting up to the speed where you can feel downforce nowhere near enough to be able to give any in-depth analysis of what that experience is like but just how alien is it in comparison to driving say your e39 m5 or let's say a, a modern day supercar mm -hmm. that you would have been driving for an oem what is that contrast between that and a downforce car the truth is there's no there's no comparisons to be drawn whatsoever. Really, it is an in, it's, it it sits in an entirely different space, mm. an aero car. Yeah, because there is a limit of mechanical grip, mm. and actually they don't often have a lot of mechanical grip. No, they don't have they don't weigh a lot for a start, so they can't generate a lot of grip anyway. Mm. They've got relatively narrow tyres, etc., etc. So there's a there's like a bridging point. Or like a leap of faith where the mechanical grip starts to drop off mm. and the aero grip has to take over mm. and in order for the aero grip to happen you have to be going really quite fast yeah <laughs> and that's terrifying yeah you know it's absolutely terrifying and you're right so i turn up and they, you know strap me in you know what you're doing miles don't you i was like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, smile yeah nod. smile and wave boys <laughs> and i'm strapped you know I, i'm sat in this thing i can feel my foot bouncing off the clutch i'm like Get a grip, man. You know, have a word with yourself. It's just another car, but you know, such is the impression that a car makes mm. like that on you. Yeah. Just the way it looked, it looked super aggressive. You mm. know, I'm thinking, cross like a mini Le Mans prototype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, a few laps in, tried to build a bit of tire temperature, didn't make a complete fool of myself, and eventually built up to it. Mm -hmm. And it, I should. Mentioned by the way that they're asking me to talk to a camera at the same time yeah. as well. Yeah. So you're also, you're in this car. Yeah. To give a review. I'm I'm in there. I'm That's in there it. to give a review. Yeah. Exactly that. I'm in there to give a review, and try and give some impressions and try and say something clever, clever, without just me screaming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like the, and actually trying to translate what that experience is like. Mm. And James and I often have this conversation. It's very hard to do that. Yeah. I, when we're talking to the camera or we're writing a piece about it, whatever it may be, 
it's actually quite hard to get across what that feeling is like mm. driving an aero car at its limit. Yeah. Um, but you know, lo and behold, did okay. <laughs> Eventually went through Craner's flat in sixth gear. My God. And um, you know, new change of pants when I got out <laughs> were, were required. But it was just it was just unbelievable. One, that fact that I was there driving this thing. Yeah. And two, just the limit. The the limit of this car was so incredibly high. I couldn't believe. Mm-hmm. And I was only scratching the surface on yeah, that day. I really was. You know, it was just my first ever go in it. So I do my bit, go home, and then the next morning, I get a phone call from Mark Harrison, who's the MD of Praga UK. I'm like, oh, what's all this about? What have I done? What have I what done? Have I done? <laughs> what have I broken? Is it time to leave the country? <laughs> Is my passport in check? You know. And uh, it was, it was, you know, he's quite a, he's quite a, what should we say? Quite a cool fellow. He is. You know, he's he's very mild tempered. And uh, he says, uh, "How was it?" I said, "Yeah, it's great. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity." <laughs> um, how, you, you did all right, didn't you? I said, well, "I don't know. You know, mm. well, I didn't crash, so I, <laughs> yeah. I suppose that's quite good." Um, well, we've been thinking about putting someone in the car for the season, and your name's come up. Wow. How would you feel about doing it? And I'm on the other side of the phone. You're kind of like, ah, in your head, but you know, you can't make, you're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yes, let me speak with my management team, (laughs) which is me, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Uh, So I'm I'm trying to play it cool, but, you know, having a phone call like that, it's it's like stuff you read about, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, it's It's, it's the being at the Metallica gig with the ability to play the guitar and then, Somebody walks out, sound engineer goes, hey guys, uh, our guitarist has broken his hand, can anyone take over? And you're like, this is my moment <laughs> to my shine. I've and then someone else steps everywhere. up and you're like, no me! Because you're right, this, that is not something that just happens. No. At all. It isn't. And uh, it, it did happen and it, it, it's... It's been an incredible journey, you know, the fact just having your name on a car for a start yeah. is like a dream come true. But this this journey that we've been on, and I say we because it's James and I obviously driving yeah. the car, um, it's been like nothing else. You yeah. know, I've gone from sort of club level racing, which was just whenever I could, af- I could afford to go and do yeah. a Citroen C- 2CV race or something like that, to then suddenly racing in a team with other high profile people, mm. you know, and these cars are so quick. They're quicker than GT3 cars. They're quicker than anything. We're always the fastest cars on the track, even with me driving, you know, <laughs> and to think if somebody had said to me, you know, whilst I was sat in my office, in my bedroom, in my pants <laughs> last March going, what have I done here? Yeah. That you'd be driving this car. I'd say, no way. Yeah. No way is that going to happen. But here we are. And, you know, it, it, it's still a bit of a pinch yourself moment now. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose the, the best thing about pinch yourself moments, and especially when you, when you have gone through the, the ups and downs of being freelance especially, um, you, you do, you, 
you do really like thank the universe for, mm. for the opportunity you get given. You do not take it for granted at all. It's not. It's something that you when, when you have something that comes across uh, comes along like this. You you never think to yourself, oh, well, this is this is my life now. Cool. I will just you know treat it like a job. It is a oh, I will appreciate every single minute that I can do this because I may not. There's a good chance I won't be doing this forever. It'll yeah. lead on to something new, and I don't know what yet. It may be something different. Um, but while I'm in this situation, it's very much a, a living in the moment and trying to just yeah not forget about how you've managed to get here and you think oh this is amazing i'm gonna really try and appreciate or just yeah just enjoy that moment that you have it is it's like trying to soak up every little cool thing about it mm. you know and there are so many things even silly stuff that might seem daft to others like turning up and the trucks are there mm -hmm. and the yeah. guys are unloading the cars and all the teams doing their doing their bit getting the cars ready and you're like, crap, that's all there for us. You know, that's yeah. all there mm -hmm. for us to come and drive this car. And it just blows me away every single time. And, and it's very easy to, because, you know, without, without beating around the bush too much, James and I have had some pretty bad luck this year in the mm. season, with whether it be car reliability um, or a few other sort of circumstantial things with uh, the, the series that we race in, mm -hmm. through no fault of our own. Um, and it's very easy to get out of the car and feel dejected and think yeah. oh, that was a crap weekend. Mm -hmm. But you know, you got you you can't forget for a minute that you're still there doing it. You're still there racing Absolutely. this incredible car. Um, and a lot of people are putting a lot of effort into you being there mm -hmm. too. So I can and the least I can do is get out of the car and with a smile on my face and say, "Well done, boys. You know you've tried your best here." Yeah. Um, so. The, 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 even with so the best the, the best success we've had so far was Silverstone we did uh, so it's an endurance format when we race in brick car endurance yep. and um, two drivers obviously and generally speaking there's two one hour races mm -hmm. half an hour each but Silverstone was the championship round where we did two hours in one go and they're very very physical cars to drive yeah, James will tell you that you know he gets out the thing blowing out of his ass <laughs> you know and we all do yeah, yeah and yeah. I you know I, I I do a very basic level of fitness to to stay up to speed with the car because mm. um, you have to yeah know, of course it's it's a bloody hard thing to drive so you're facing I'm guessing Neck G's, yeah. crash helmets going around corners. Is that, speed is. I see like people on like Instagram do little videos where you're like lying on a bench with like a weight around your head, <laughs> like you know you're staring at the floor, having to like, lift your head backwards to, to build muscles on your neck. Is yeah. that something you have to go through? Is this, is is this YouTube you're on about or something else? <laughs> well, it's like, it's <laughs> it sounds <okay>. weird. <laughs> I think who have I seen? I'm sure it's like <laughs> Jess. J is it Jess Hawkins? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I'm yeah, sure yeah. I've seen videos of, of her doing these little like literally neck building ex mm. exercises and, and exactly that. Like yeah. It, it's all in the it's all in the neck and it's all in the core, mm -hmm. you know. And the car can pull three G lat laterally, three G in the corner, which is a lot. a lot. Yeah. For context, a a road car GT3 RS nine nine one is about one point two G max lat mm. This is more than twice that. Yeah. For a longer time, mm -hmm. you know, and it takes it out of you. Yeah. And to to extract that, to extract what the car has to offer means you are really up there mm. physically the hot you know your heart rate's high for 
a whole hour, two yeah. hours, whatever it may you, be. Sorry, just interrupt. You have like a, you monitored your health, literally like a Fitbit type thing that's on your wrist to be able to see what your body is doing. I haven't, but I should do that. that. I'd be fascinated to see mm. how many calories you burn. For sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a good idea. Just, just add, yeah, interest to see where your heart rate gets to in terms of your maximum heart rate mm. and yeah, what it, what that car is doing to your body not only when you're racing but also if you're just you know, testing whatever it'd be yeah. interesting to, to see it would wouldn't it yeah and I, I think it'd be quite surprising actually you know the certainly with Silverstone we did we did this two-hour race and I did a long stint 70 minutes or so and we did really well so mm. we had I started um, started p6 or something like that and we had this huge deluge of rain and you've never <laughs> seen anything like it but we took a risk and stayed out on slicks because we thought, okay, the rain won't stay for too long. Two or three other cars did that. And, um, you know, the Sweden sort of car control <laughs> just uh, landed on me at that particular moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope there was a clear vision of me standing with a hot coffee on a frozen lake. So it certainly was. was a, that was a, a perfectly good entry there, Miles. It was. It, it was it, I just had, it was like a, I had like a mini John Mark on my shoulder, <laughs> you know. Obi-Wan Kenobi yeah. appearing in the corner. Exactly. <laughs> Flick it in, Miles. Flick it in. So we did all right there and had led the race for 40 minutes, managed to pick through to the front. Um, I got a 28 second lead and handed the car over to James and the starter motor failed no, in no. the pit stop. Oh, no. So we lost the whole lead. No way. And then later on, sadly, we had to retire, retire the car. And I think James has done a pretty good sort of documentary on that mm. race weekend. So I'd recommend going to watch that. Um, but when they talk about racing, and you've done obviously a bit now as well, Amy, haven't you? Yeah, the high, the highs and the lows mm. are <laughs> that's something you, they don't tell you about when you're yeah. signing up for yeah. your race license, yeah. you know. The, the fact is, nine times out of ten, it doesn't all go to plan. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. But there's the other thing as well. So talking, just going back to that physical aspect of it and you know they having having to have that essential core strength and upper body strength and it is you know it is exhausting your heart rate fluctuating but there's also the added challenge which i think again a lot of people forget about as spectators of motorsport and that is the actual the mental capacity because mm -hmm. firstly yes you've got that physical strain of your all those g-forces on your body but at the same time you're flying around that corner pulling 3g you're also having to think and process and feel what's the car doing what's it about to do what could happen what do i need to react to and that's just on that corner. You're now actually thinking about the following corner and the one after. And, oh, there's somebody that's trying to get past me and I'm trying to get past them. There is so much to think about. So how does that process at the point where you, once your stint has come to an end, you're back into the pit lane, you're either swapping over with James or, in an ideal world, you've crossed that finish line and your race is done. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing you want to do when you get out of the car? Is it just go to a dark room and decompress? Or are you still on a high? How does it, what, what is that emotion? Yeah. You're definitely on a high mm. because it's not until it's it's not until probably a day or even two days after that you realise kind of what you've done to your body yeah. almost in in that hour or so you've been in the car or that day because just just turning up at the start of the day a race weekend is actually quite it's quite a fraught sort of environment mm. and there's always something going on mm -hmm. you know the tea there's obviously there's an onus on you to sort of do well mm -hmm. as well you know you're suddenly under some obligation to do okay not just go and have a bit of fun mm. um, and there's a whole team of people that are there to make this car go around the track for, with you driving it mm -hmm. you know and you want to do your best to sort of 
make the best of it, I sure, suppose, you know, and, and they've put their effort in, so I want to do the same. Um, but getting out of the car after a stint like that, particularly if you've had a good stint, you don't know what to do. You just do this weird sort of wandering around the garage. <laughs> and oh, what, 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 are you, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't know what I'm yeah. doing. I'm, I'm, I'm like looking around at a timing board or there's a massive box of Haribo over there. <laughs> and I quite fancy some of those, you know. Um, so you're in this sort of, at least for half an hour, just mm. this weird kind of what just happened. Yeah, processing time. I guess mm. it's your brain trying to catch up, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, physically it's hard work. But like I say, I don't think you realise until a day or so after mm. that mentally you're tired. Of course. And physically very, very tired. Mm. Yeah. You know, and that only gets better with, with I suppose, more experience because mm. you don't, you know, a very experienced racing driver, you can see that they're just cool as a cucumber most of the time, aren't they? And the racing for me has come far, far later in life. You mm. know, what I've always, my career has been working on road cars. So, yeah. They, yes, I'm a professional driver of sorts, but not in racing terms whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So it's a big learning curve mm -hmm. for me too. And um, to do your first proper season, as it were, you know, in something like the Praga, um, is is like going from here to there overnight. Yeah, you know, of course. There's sort of a journey which you should take for that. Do you have has any point of that been quite stressful? Like I, the. The, I remember, like when I when I first got asked to do my first big commercial shoot, I was so scared and the <laughs> pressure and the stress, and I thought I hate. I'm never going to do a commercial shoot again because I just thought I absolutely hated this. Um, when it comes to to you and your racing, is there is there a point? Well, has there been a point where you just thought I am so stressed, I'm not enjoying this, or have you man managed to kind of like have you had the the positive mental health, I suppose, in terms of stress and looking after how you feel in that situation? Yeah. So. I, I think there's a few, so there's a few things that have sort of happened <laughs> without getting too, too teary-eyed here, mm, but there's a few things that have happened sort of through my life that have almost given me that, uh, those skills as it were, yeah. or tools to kind of deal with those stressful environments. Um, and quite, a, you know, one or two really significant setbacks in my life that, you know, had a negative effect. Namely, when, so when I was, 13, 14, we had a few issues at home and, you know, everything that you once knew, almost everything I once knew, you know, the typical nuclear family, mm -hmm. you know, um, two dogs and a white picket child, whatever it may be. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was that, it was this kind of perfect, when you're that age, everything's just brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, parents separated, few other things happened. And everything that you once knew was like a sure thing, which yeah. just wasn't there suddenly. And at, and at that age, 13, 14, I was like, oh, shit, I don't, think I'm, I don't think I can deal with this very well, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't. And I really struggled with my mental health mm -hmm. for a good few years. And I still do now to some extent. Yeah. But, you know, so I, I actually took myself, I, had, I actually left school completely for, mm -hmm. for two whole years when I should have been doing GCSEs. Yeah. Um, and I had to be homeschooled. Eventually, that got me to a position with some help that I could go and do my A levels. Mm -hmm. So that was like the minimum standard. I was like, well, I need to go and at least do that to give me a fighting chance of doing something in the future. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully, even, I mean, what's this for me now, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of things, there's a lot of people around, whether it be the NHS or whatever, to to help you through things like that. Yeah. And, and it's not, certainly now, it's actually not so much of a guarded subject, I don't think, anymore, is it, mental health? It, no, absolutely People are more right. ready to yep. talk about it. Completely. Um, so that was a difficult time. And, you know, you can think, I was, I was two years or so when I should have been at school thinking, well, I've kind of screwed this now, yep. you know, because yep. as we were saying earlier, if you sometimes if you feel like you've not followed that really, you know, well-defined process that everybody seems to have to follow, mm. um, you don't stand a chance. The, the fact is, with a bit of resilience and a lot of help from other people, mm -hmm. um, you can sort of eventually get yourself out of that hole. Yeah, go and do the next thing. And if somebody said to me well, actually, in 10 years' time, you'll be doing this. I'd go, well, no way. That's right. But there was actually these small incremental steps along the way, which mm. just built me up to get there. Made worse by the fact that, you know, when I did leave to go self-employed, then this whole thing happened. Yeah, yeah of course. And I'm thinking, Christ, give me a break. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I, this, it's almost quite a selfish way of thinking because, uh, you, yeah, Everyone else is in that situation. Of course they are. Mm -hmm. And you, you're never going to ignore that. But it doesn't help you at that particular moment no, in time. No, it doesn't. And the other thing as well is if, if like many people have, and I, I, can, I, can, be, I can speak as, as one of these people that have been through some fairly difficult, dark times as well, often the smallest little stresses and strains can trigger memories and emotions and things that you didn't really ever think were going to resurface. And sometimes it is something as significant as the the unsettling of a, a work environment or a big change. And that might be the first comparable event to a significant life change since something that did happen back in your teenage years. And it can be difficult. And what's interesting, in fact, I've been thinking about this more and more as you've just been speaking, is we, we recorded a previous episode with Jay Morton, mm -hmm. who's also linked, of course, with Praga, yes. doing some driving with Praga. And I put a similar question to Jay, and obviously... Jay has a completely different background to all of us, having spent a lot of his professional life being shot at in uh, far-flung corners of the world. So, of course, he uses that, that similar sort of emotion of, yeah, I've been in situations where things have been really dark, really tough and really difficult, and I now repurpose that energy, almost use it as a strength. I've built up that muscle that is my mental strength and mental ability to be able to cope with more difficult things. So yeah. I think it's always, it's always fascinating, to, and to hear that... As you say, that the normalisation of talking about stresses and strains and struggle and mental health is no longer this terrifying, oh, we, we must whisper it. And, you mm -hmm. know, the idea of telling anyone that you've gone for therapy is absolutely appalling, you yeah. know. And now we all sit there in the pub and go, yeah, so I was saying to my therapist the other day. And, you know, it's just become this normal thing, hasn't it? Yeah, and, and, as, and as it should, because yeah. it, it doesn't, you don't have to be, you know, in a straitjacket rocking in the corner of a room. <laughs> that's right. That, that's one end of the scale. Yeah. But sometimes just having you know, for a, a, a week or two, a month or two, just no energy. Mm. That's also a sign of it, you know, and you yeah. think, oh, I don't want to get out of bed today to do whatever it may be. Yeah. So just because there's somebody else that might be having a slightly more difficult time than you mm. doesn't mean that, you know, you can't you can't feel the way you do about something. That's right. I suppose that's one thing that I've always kind of noticed is that you often you feel yourself that you're like, oh no, I don't need to see a therapist because I'm I'm not bad enough. And it's sure. it's yeah. getting to that point where you're like, no, you don't need to you don't need to feel like you're you're in a negative place at all. But it's still 
still useful if you wanted to ever go and speak to a therapist. It, I think everybody would benefit if they went and spoke to therapists for I don't know, just a couple of sessions even. Yeah, totally right. And you know, I would I would encourage even myself, you know, anyone who's maybe listening to this mm. that is, you know going through anything like that or thinking I want to make this even if, if it's a positive thing not necessarily a negative thing I want to make this next step into something but I don't feel I can do it or whatever there's something blocking them drop me a DM you know like yeah. I'll have a phone call with you or something because so many people when I was going through those tough times were so good to me mm. that I wouldn't there's no way I'd be doing what I'm doing now without yeah. them yeah you know and you just never forget you never forget that Mm. And only, only through those experiences I, I can keep a cool head now, whether it be in a racing car or whether it be going self-employed and then the world just stops. <laughs> you know, it, it's just a little bit of resilience, even in a very adverse time. Yeah. Just the smallest little bit of resilience mm -hmm. goes a long way. And not forgetting something my mum always said was, if it was easy, Miles, everyone would be doing it. It's absolutely right. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Yeah. No, you're right. And I think the, the importance of just conversations with friends, it's again, it's yeah, this therapy, again, it sounds like it can be such a terrifying word, but ultimately this is therapy. This conversation we're having is therapy. Mm -hmm. You being sat in the car with a friend on a long drive and just talking absolute tosh for two hours is therapy. If it puts you in a position where you can offload something share something with be a, a, an old friend a new friend a family member just yeah the ability to talk and talk openly with somebody that you trust and that you're happy with and you feel isn't going to give any judgments and as you say it is so much better now it really is and i'm so so delighted that the world is a is a, is a better place for these sort of conversations um but yeah absolutely keep that keep that conversation open all the time and and yeah that's you know a lovely gesture of yours miles to say you know, reach out and, you know, we'd say the same thing. Absolutely, yeah. always reach out because and there are people that are happy to talk. They are, and I do mean it. I, I genuinely mean it because if there was an 18-year-old me, um, you know, listening to this and thought, oh, I quite fancy that or mm. I've experienced a similar thing, you know, yeah. bounce it off somebody like me or whoever else that you maybe think you can talk to, yeah. you know. And I think even now, having, you know, if I was to write it all down on a bit of paper, what's happened in the last 10 years mm. the fact that it's i'm still here now doing this yes would not change a thing no would not change a single thing about the journey whatsoever even though it was proper shit at times yeah, yeah <laughs> you <know>? absolutely <laughs> absolutely so let's jump it up before we wrap things up um i'd love to know because of course your your working world has gone from one thing to another to an unexpected thing to another unexpected thing what do you see as what's next even if that is a possible question to answer or is it just a case of you going don't know let's just figure it out do you have a is there a goal is there something you're looking to work towards or I don't know if there's a goal but you know I, I'm, I'm happier now working for myself d doing whatever comes along but mm. it's always around cars and what so one of the main things I'm doing now is um, producing sort of art films for uh, around cars around automotive yeah, sector yeah. so there's a car that is everybody knows, which is the Nissan R32 Calsonic mm. uh, Group yep. A touring car. Yeah. Uh, last year, I picked up the phone to um, Rick Wood Motorsport, who's built a perfect replica of this car, and I mean perfect, mm. and said, "How about we do something about how this car came to be?" Blah blah blah. blah. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it was a bit of a yeah who are you put the phone down kind of thing oh really no it wasn't like that at all <laughs> um but jake obviously jake hill's a mutual yeah. friend of ours he races with rick and said miles is a complete idiot um why don't you let him come and talk with you yeah so we've been producing this film for the last sort of 12 months or so it's probably be half an hour long something like that yeah and um it basically tells the story it's like a sort of editorial film of how this car came to be and it ultimately ends with me driving the car at Anglesey mm -hmm. and basically saying how bloody awesome it is yeah so there's that um I do precision driving for some film shoots and photo shoots mm -hmm. that kind of thing Amy. <laughs> <laughs> I am listening. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Hold on honestly, a I wanted yeah. to shoot. I'm not going to say who for because if anybody's listening, then they might go, wait, that was me. Where honestly, <laughs> we, it was a long, it was like a road trip. And honestly, the, the person they had drive this car was so terrible that I, <laughs> like, I was just like, uh, because I, in what way dangerous or? right no so we're on this bit of road and as as you know for photo shoots the i say i might say can you just drive up and down this road a number of times so i can get a panic shot uh -huh. as it, you know you go you might come across a car at some point you have to think oh no we're gonna have to do that one again this person couldn't even like reverse oh, wow. not even around a corner it wasn't even around a corner it was just like for a little bit further back to allow this car to go around they got stuck down a pothole and that they couldn't get it out and that was just hey wait a minute that was me <laughs> his name was john <laughs> and he was terrible <laughs> oh wow uh, but no that's that's yeah I'll, I'll, I'll now have to see see what i've got coming up please do yeah <laughs> yeah and if you know when there's two cars uh, obviously yeah miles and i need to pirouette both. them together then oh we could do that we yeah. could do that yeah we're, we're well versed in such practices we are pirouetting cars um <laughs> yeah you know so, so so that i still write as well of course um i do the odd bit of photography not on anywhere near amy's level i have to say <laughs> well now i've got my assistant driver and photographer oh, then that's oh, it gosh this there is shaping go. up to be a whole new world <laughs> sack off this praga nonsense come know, on let's go and I do know. some stuff with us um and then just working for uh, lots of other manufacturers as an ambassador really you Great. know if they've got a new product coming out tend to go and talk about it, do demonstration stuff, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, so no one thing, really, no. no one thing, but it that's, keeps me busy. That's the great thing about being freelance, I guess, Exactly, isn't it, it yeah. keeps me busy, I absolutely love it. And um, all being well, I don't know what I'll be racing next year, but I would love to be racing something, hopefully with James as well. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, you know, and, and we'll, we'll see where that kind of journey takes us, really. Awesome, so if people wanna find you, where, where's the best place to go? Would that be Instagram or? Yeah, uh, probably Instagram. Yeah. Um, it's just at Miles Lacey, um, which is my name. <laughs> uh, Miles with an I. But yeah, the, the, probably Instagram. That's where I'm sort of most active. And um, I'm, I'm generally at a, a race circuit one day at or another. At a race circuit near you. But near you. <laughs> um, so, you know, come and say hello. And awesome. I'm happy to talk about anything and everything. Brilliant. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. It's certainly uh, it's taken a journey from uh, you know a, a, a vague list of things that I knew we were going to cover to all sorts of wonderful tangents and happy positivity and things, which I'm, I'm sure the audience will will love. And we'd obviously love your feedback. If you do have the uh, the time, the means, and the ability to drop us a quick review about today's podcast, that would be amazing. I know that's only really applicable if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, but if you're listening on Spotify, you can always hit that follow button and various other nice things you can do, Google reviews and, and all that and everything. Or just send us a DM or comment on our last 
Instagram post with uh, what was our lovely horse anecdote? Hey, hey ho. Hey ho. I was just about to, I want to know the answer. Could we to that. turn that into a hashtag? Could, hashtag hey ho. Hashtag hey on whatever our latest <laughs> post was. And I love doing this because sometimes you do get, you know, a year or so after you've recorded the podcast, you'll get a comment that will say something like hey ho. And you're like, what the hell is <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah. And I love, I love the idea that people are going to be doing this in 30 or 40 years and they'll still be, I'll still for some reason have access to a driven chat Instagram account or whatever the new social media platform is at that time going, Hey, hell, what's that? And why have they spelt it like that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Miles, thank you so much for joining us today. I have a strong suspicion that this isn't the last we're going to see or hear of you through Driven Chat. I'm sure we're going to get involved. Um, there is a, an ongoing conversation with Mark. Um, your MD about mm -hmm. doing some fun things uh, with him so I'm sure our paths will cross again soon hopefully in some sort of video form but uh, it's been amazing having you Dan thank you so much for taking the time to sit and have a chat with us not at all no I really appreciate being invited on and it's great to sit here and talk with you both awesome let's go and have a pint yay the Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital you dream it we bring it to life find out more at drivenchat.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.